0: Thank you and remain standing, if you would, for just a moment as we turn to the book of Hebrews, chapter number 2. Hebrews, chapter number 2. we've made our way through this book and it's a it's a deep book <laughs> it's a thick book so to speak in the remaining portion of this chapter we've kind of come down to verse number 10 which is where we'll have our reading here in just a moment but in the remainder of this chapter we're given the reasoning for the messiah's suffering and remember there was a danger in the hebrew believers of Drifting away from the truth. And quite possibly there was an issue uh, with this idea of the suffering Messiah. And some might say, why would the Messiah have suffered as Christ did? And that's really kind of the question that I want to springboard in this morning. Why did the Messiah have to suffer? Look with me, if you would, at verse number 10. Where the Lord says, for it became him... For whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons unto glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. Father, bless, we pray, the reading of your word. and Father, help us to get out of the way for a moment. Father, I pray as I do every Sunday, God, you would use me, leave nothing left, Father, that I would be spent for the cause of Christ, The Father, you would use your word and your meager servant to call out change in the believer, repentance in the sinner, and Father, that we would see things the way you do as a result of spending time in your word. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. It's important for us as we look at the question of why did the Messiah have to suffer? Why why did the Messiah suffer so? It's important for us to understand uh, just (laughs) how offensive this idea can be. If you think for just a moment the idea of a... Uh, uh, of a servant or a, a, of a suffering Messiah. Uh, if you think about that, and in the gospel itself, the gospel reveals a truth that, that, to, that man is, uh, uh, to man, it's either offensive or it's attractive. And what we want to understand this morning in our own heart is am I offended or attracted? by the truth that is revealed in the gospel. Now, when we look at this idea, realize just how offensive uh, the message that that, uh, a a Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church is putting forth. We believe what God's Word teaches in the area of all things. If God's Word says it ought to be blue, we're going to go with blue. If God's word says it ought to be green, we're going to go with green. If God's word says thou shalt, that's what we're going to preach, thou shalt. If God's word says thou shalt not, then we're going to preach, thou shalt not. It doesn't matter which party you belong to or what area of the world you grew up in, the word of God is true. And we take it that way. Now, this idea that is portrayed in the gospel, however, can be very, very offensive. We need to understand this. The, uh, the idea of, of its being offensive we can see in 1 Corinthians chapter number 1. Take a look with me if you would. Keep your hand in the book of Hebrews and go to 1 Corinthians chapter number 1. 1 Corinthians shortly after the Gospels, just a few books later. First Corinthians chapter number one reveals to us something about this gospel that we claim. I want you to take a look here in verse twenty-three. It says, "But we preach Christ crucified, unto the Jews a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks foolishness. But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ." the power of God, and the wisdom of God. If you're in Liberty Bible Church, I want you to understand, this is what we preach. Christ. I have no other message to present. I have no other thing that I can bring before you that is of any value. I'm not going to spend my time, uh, the short amount of time that I get, uh, to stand before people heralding out God's truths and waste it on what nonsense may be taking place around the world. Waste it, possibly, on something. Now, don't, don't misunderstand me. I know that there's a lot of value, but this opportunity that is afforded to me right here, why in the world would I spend time talking to you about things that are finite and temporary at best when I can be presenting to you Christ. This is why you're not going to find it here. As long as I'm your pastor anyway, you're not going to find, and I I can say the same for the time Pastor McCracken was your pastor, you're not going to find anything, any message other than Christ crucified, buried, and risen again, and all God's people can say... Because that's what we have to offer. But that can be offensive. It can be offensive because of the idea that man would even need a savior. Think about that for a minute. So you're telling me that I need someone to atone for my sins? Yes. You're calling me a sinner? Yes, but I'm not as bad as this other fella. Didn't ask. God's word is no respecter of person. It don't matter, red, yellow, black, and white, pink with purple polka dots. Guess what? You a sinner just like me. No respecter of persons. Male, female, guess what? We're all in need. I find it neat. And I like, uh, I like to give it whenever uh, uh, talking about Greek and teaching Greek. You have, uh, in four languages, you have your masculine words and your feminine words. And there is a, uh, there is a word, hamartia. It is the word, the Greek word for sin. You hear, hear that hamartia, that Yoda alpha. That's a feminine word. Does that mean that all sin is feminine? Well, before anybody gets too excited, the word martelos is sinner, which is masculine. Does that mean that all sinners are male? No. Guess what you and I, no matter what gender, no matter what what, uh, upbringing you may have had, no matter what your social standing is, you and I, my friend, are sinners in need of a Savior. And that can be offensive. You see, the question then comes into play, so you honestly believe that if someone is not a child of God, someone is not a Christian, that they're going to go to hell? You are going to say that? Now, there are some preachers that might dance around the question and and bat their eyes and give you a nice show of their pearly white teeth and let you say, you know, I'm not going to say that. But I will. Yes. The offensive nature of the gospel is to let you know if you have not trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, if you are trusting in anything that is not Christ's blood and His atonement, if you are trusting in how good you can be, how much money you put in the offering plate, what your attendance record looks like, if you're trusting in the way you act towards your children, if you're trusting in how, uh, how you're respected in society, how you're not as bad as some other people, if you're trusting in that, my friend, my loving response to you is, I'm sorry that you don't know Him, and yes, we'll spend eternity separated from Him in hell. That's offensive. How dare you tell me that? How dare you look at someone and they admit, what if they're they're as sincere in their beliefs as you are in yours, what makes you believe that you're right and they're wrong? If I did not tell someone something like that, then how in the world can I claim that I truly believe God's word? How can I claim that I love my neighbor as myself if I know beyond a shadow of a doubt what is solidified, what I believe with all my heart is that if they don't know Christ as their personal Savior, their Lord, if they don't claim Him this way, if they have not placed their trust in Him, they're going to spend eternity in hell. How can I say that I love them if I hide the truth? That can be offensive, can't it? Well, but Pastor Andy, what, that may be true, but what about my son who used to believe and now he claims he's an atheist? Look, I'll cry with you. But the truth of the matter is if you don't know Christ, you are separated from him. That's truth even the sincerely religious people, even the good people. And it's offensive because of what the gospel actually claims. That a man cannot pay his own way. That the father would require an innocent human sacrifice. That that can be offensive to people. That the conquering king would be crucified. To the Jews, stumbling block. You know, they were were waiting for the Messiah to come to set up an earthly rule and reign. And when Jesus steps out on the scene as a suffering uh, servant, it was like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Uh -uh, Uh-uh, uh-uh. That doesn't fit right. That doesn't make sense with the rest of what I'm saying. No, 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 no. That, that can't be right. So to the Jews, it was a stumbling block. To the Greeks... Foolishness. (laughs) Foolishness! <laughs> why in the world? Think about the Greeks. What did they have? They had their uh, uh, their gods and their goddesses, and they were always fighting with one another, trying to uh, claim uh, superiority. And they were always battling. And you got this this one god. He liked the he liked the uh, humans. This other god. He thought they were dogs that needed to be stamped out. And they're always fighting back and forth. And the Greeks, like, why in the world would a god? leave heaven, become a man of no reputation, and then suffer like that. Doesn't make sense. Is this really how the Father would fittingly deal with sin? The gospel can be pretty offensive and can cause a lot of questions. But I want you to understand, no matter how good you are, it do, you do not deserve... God's grace. Now, I've had people tell me the opposite. Look me right in the face and say, no, 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 no. That's not right. I'm here to tell you, no matter how good of a person you and I can be, we do not deserve the mercy and grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I had originally planned on preaching through multiple verses, but you know me, I got stuck on verse 10. I got stuck on verse 10 here in the book of Hebrews. So we're going to just spend this morning looking at that. And by God's grace, I'll get through the remainder of the chapter next week. Looking there again at Hebrews chapter number 10, it says, For it became him for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons unto Christ to make the captain of their salvation perfect Through sufferings. The first thing that I want to notice in this is how the father is perfecting the son, uh, the captain of our salvation as it is in our text here, through sufferings. Notice who the him is in this verse. At the very beginning there it says, For it became him for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons to glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. You're talking about two individuals in this verse. One, the captain of salvation, and the one who is perfecting the captain of our salvation. Now, the one that we're talking about as far as the whom, we're, we're referring to uh, the, uh, uh, the father within the Godhead. It's important for us to learn to differentiate within the Godhead. It's important for us to learn this. I think oftentimes when we say God, we, in our mind, we're saying God the Father, but then we get in our mind, okay, so if God the Father is God, then but we say Jesus is God, does that mean Jesus is God? No, 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 we need to learn to differentiate a little bit. And so what we see here is the Father, notice that, in reference to the Father, He is fulfilling, He is following through here on a statement that really gives us a reality check. See what it says there? For whom are all things and by whom are all things. Let us never forget. Let us never forget that the ultimate end of everything is the glory of God. All things are for him. All things have been created by him and for him. All things are for his uh, his idea for his uh, for his glory to promote more about him so that we can see him better all creation testifies of his greatness the creation testifies of his glory when we look at the sun and it 's peeking over the over the hills and we 're out there if you've ever seen a sunrise you 've ever had that opportunity to go to maybe the uh, the east coast and and you're sitting uh, on the beach or on you 're sitting up on a hill or what have you and you 're just waiting and it 's dark and it 's dark and then all of a sudden that sun just peeks out. Wow. That's pretty. That's nice. Creation testifies of his glory. All things are made for his glory. And so I want you to realize something. Oftentimes we talk about salvation and we talk about uh, uh, that Christ did these things and we say that Christ did them for you. But we need to never forget that his sufferings, his salvation brings him glory. And that is the ultimate end. Our salvation brings him glory. He saved you. He saved me to bring him glory. This is what it's all about. Ere we ever forget that it is about His glory and we start to put more focus on us and me. This is for me. This is about me. This is what I want and God did this so that I can have. That's where we start to slip away from keeping our focus on Him. The atonement, understand this, was also not in response to an urgent need that arised. We've got to realize what all is taking place. The ultimate end here of the atonement was not in response to urgent needs arising because of God's law, nor was it an effort of God to attract man into salvation. Here's what I mean by that. Oftentimes, we can we can kind of get into our mind a picture that God made everything perfect, and then He just gave one rule. That's all He ever intended. We'll give one rule. Man messed it up, and God's like, "Oh, now I got to go save him." No, that's not the he intended. That's not what it's about. Remember, God, before the foundations of the world, knew you. Before the foundations of the world, he knew what he was getting ready to do. He knew he was setting out to create man, and he knew that man was going to drift. He knew that man was going to mess things up. He knew this ahead of time. He knew that he was going to send his son who was going to live on this earth and suffer as a man and die a death that you and I deserve. to die. He knew this before he did it. And Genesis 1, 26 states it beautifully when when God said, let us. You know what that is? That's God looking at the whole picture beginning of time to the end of time and saying, yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Let's make man in our image. I want you to understand something with this because it's pivotal to us. God does not seek to impress you. Catch this. He does not seek to impress you. He plainly puts himself on display. And he leaves it to you to respond. What more do we want? Well, the Jews require a sign. The Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ. Right? And so in, in in our mind's eye sometimes it's like, all right, God, if you do this, then I'll believe. If you do that, then I'll follow you. If you, wait a minute. God does not seek to impress you. And even in the idea of, uh, of Christ's atonement, this is not God seeking to impress you or, or make you think, oh, wow, oh, yeah. you No. He's just putting himself on display. He says, this is me. This is you. This is why you were made. This is what I did. What are you going to do about it? This is basically the message of the gospel. Now, as to this perfecting, realize that this is more about the work of Christ than the character of Christ. The idea of God's perfecting uh, is not saying, okay, well, Jesus wasn't perfect until God put him through the ringers and everything. No, no, no. This word for perfect is a different word. Uh, it, it's a word that brings about it the idea of completion. And so when we look at this idea, to the perfecting, as God, Jesus had always been perfect, yet because of his sufferings, his divine character was then vindicated as a man. So the perfecting here, it's not a, we read sometimes these words, and it's like, oh, so he wasn't perfect until he did this. Understand what's being said. Remember that God is just and cannot scheme away our guilt. He's just has to be has to be paid for He is true, and he must follow through on punishment if he doesn't follow through, he's a liar you know sometimes i you know, you've done it before, maybe, and have you ever said something rashly to the children and you're like. One more time. Just do one more time. What? Ah, dare you. Let me see it. Just look, look at me like that one more time. I'm going to snatch those eyeballs out of your head. What do they do? They look at you one more time like, yeah, you really, what are you going to do? You're going to snatch these eyeballs out of my head. Guess what? I've just lied. Yeah? Do it one more time. I'm telling you, you will not see the light of day until you're 40. You said some of those things before too, haven't you? Don't look at me like a bunch of pious gas bags. I would never say such things to my children. Right. And then what do we? I I can I can tell you the times where I've told my children, "All right, here's the deal. If you do this, this is what's going to happen." And it breaks your heart when they do it, and you have to walk into their room. Daddy's heart hurts. But if I don't follow through, then that makes Daddy a liar, and Daddy does not want to be a liar. Daddy wants you to know that you can believe Him. So if I said that you weren't going to be able to, or if I said that you were going to lose this privilege, you're going to lose it. That hurts, doesn't it? You have to follow through, you have to follow through it. Oh, that's the worst part of parenting. following through oh, you just kind of want to all right, here's the deal from now on if you do that i'm a I'm a beat your sister with a licorice whip and then make you eat it. yeah oh. he is holy, and he is unable to fellowship with sinners, unable. Holiness has no place with sinners. But God is also merciful, and He longs to save. He looks forward to it. You see, the sufferings of Christ brought consistency to the salvation of sinners. And in view of the character of God, we saw this. And in, 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 in if you jump back with me to Psalm chapter 85. Brother Dell was there just a little bit ago. Look at Psalm chapter 85 with me. Beautiful Psalm. Psalms typically in the smack dab middle. Smack dab a hillbilly word of your Bible. Psalm chapter 85. Notice what it says, if you, read, if you follow along with me as I read verse 10 and 11. Mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. Truth shall spring out of the earth, and righteousness shall look down from heaven. Do you see the beauty of how everything comes to fulfillment, comes to completion at the cross. You see, the two natures of Christ bring completion to this being a perfect mediator for man. Perfect mediator. His divine attributes are beautifully illustrated in these two natures of Christ. And as we've made our way through the book of Hebrews, we've noticed his, his deity. We've noticed his humanity. And it all comes together right there at the suffering of Jesus Christ. The cross of Christ puts it all on display and helps us to make sense of how a just God can still follow through with justice while at the same time enacting mercy. It's beautiful. It's beautiful when we see this. So this perfecting from the Greek word teleo, it means to make complete or bring to fulfillment. In other words, nothing was left unattended. No loose ends. Nothing can be said about him. It'd be one thing for God to just simply come to earth die for sinners, and then leave, never having become man. But then man would say, well, he doesn't understand what I go through in these temptations. He's never been tempted. Oh, yes, he has. The Bible says, in all points, tempted as we, yet without sin. Well, God doesn't understand what it's like to have his heart broken. Yes, he does. Every teenager, but the love of my life doesn't want to have anything to do with me anymore. God doesn't understand. (laughs) Yeah, he does. A whole lot more than you and I, realize. A whole lot more. God knows what it's like to have those closest to him turn their back on him. Because of the humanity of Jesus Christ, God knows what it's like to be betrayed by one closest to him. God knows what it's like to be abandoned in his greatest hour. God knows what it's like to have people not listen to him. God knows what it's like to have people call him (laughs) a demon. God knows what it's like to have people try to kill him. God knows what it's like for people to spit in his face. God knows what it's like to be insulted. God knows what it's like to be struck by another individual. God knows what it's like to be ignored. And God knows what it's like to be replaced. God knows way more than you and I know. He experienced way more than you and I could ever fathom. He went through it all. The one who is perfect, the one who deserves all glory, the one who deserves all honor, all praise, all attention became a man. And he suffered. And it was needful. No one can say God doesn't understand. Yes, He does. Because of the suffering of Jesus Christ, He's the perfect mediator. Perfect. Before God, He presents man. To us, He presents God. Perfect. Perfect. Notice the suffering that was... Done, and it was, an intent, it was intended to rescue man. Look back again with me, if you would, at verse ten. It says, "For it became Him, for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons unto glory." You see, suffering does uh, the God's purpose in all of this. His purpose in this was to bring His children to glory. Not only do we experience forgiveness, but catch this, he adopts us into his family. And next week we're going to get into this a little bit deeper about the idea of being adopted into him. But just just catch this for a moment. Man was not meant for damnation. He was not created for that purpose. He was created for glory, to be in the image of God. Man was not created to suffer the way we do. We brought that upon ourselves. The third thing I want to point out is his suffering was so necessary. We see in verse 10 For it became him, for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, and bringing many sons unto glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect. Through suffering. You see, as we looked at just a moment ago, suffering does not negate His qualifications, but it actually reveals them, it unveils them to us unhindered. He is the Messiah. No question about it. Isaiah 53 reveals the suffering servant Uh, and and think about it for just a moment Isaiah chapter 53 I love the beauty that is pictured there when we see how it is God's uh, a finger that, cre- that, uh, that put the stars in place and created the world. And he carved this out. Hand of God spoke things into existence. Finger. But wh- where, where do we see power? I'm sorry, but, you know, there's a lot of people. They've got, man, they've got strong hands. They've got strong hands. But then where is the real power? I'm sorry, but if you just have a hand, and that's the only muscle in your body that's strong, <laughs> yeah, you're, you're going to hurt. But the power is seen. What, what, do, what do kids learn to do? I don't know about your kids, but I know my kids. They learn, uh, let me see your muscles. And, every once in a while, my wife will see me walking through the living room in my T-shirt. And I go, hey, babe. <laughs> you know, and I act like I'm the only one that does it. You do it too. <laughs> but... I love the way Isaiah 53 reads. Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? The amazing power of God revealed in his suffering servant. 2 Corinthians 5 also lets us know he, that's God, Made him, that's Jesus, to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. God willed the suffering of the Messiah. It was in his plan and this suffering had to take place and it did take place. This is not incidental. It's necessary. Now I want you to notice in Hebrews chapter 2 verse 10 here another word. That many times if we're not cautious, we read past things without really taking much notice of them. We just kind of skim right through as if "Eh, that's just another word. But I want you to notice this word. Hebrews chapter number 2, verse 10, and I hope you're reading along. For it became him. It became him. This word became is, is a little bit of a different word. It's the Greek word prepo, prepo. Now, some have translated this word as fitting. It was fitting for him. But the word actually bears a whole lot more than just, it eh, fits. The word became, uh, it brings about it, the word prepo, it means to stand out, to make something stand out. A a way that we use this word, we would use this word today, is if you looked at a a, a, maybe a lady has a beautiful dress on and it's one of those man, the color just really brings out your eyes and oh, just it really it puts a it puts a picture frame on your beauty and we say that is very becoming, very becoming. Now I want you to notice why this is important for us to see. The word prepo meaning to stand out or to be becoming. Some would say fitting, but it draws your attention to the uniqueness. You and I must, must accept the reality that your sin must be atoned. Must be. Christ died to atone for your sins. Buddha didn't do that. Tim Tebow didn't do that. I don't care what politician you like. He never did that. Only Christ did that. And everything about His two natures coming together at the cross must draw our attention to the reality of the situation. Go back with me, if you would, please, to Romans chapter number 3. Romans chapter number 3. Part of me just wants to read this whole chapter. Drop the mic. Let's go home. I want you to notice what it says here in Romans chapter number 3. This helps us see the payment that was being made. Look at verse 21 with me Romans 3 21. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe. For there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood, to declare his righteousness for the remissions of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God, to declare, I say at this time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Where is boasting then? It is excluded by what law of works? Nay, but by the law of faith. Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also, seeing it is one God which shall justify the circumcision by faith and uncircumcision through faith. Do we then make void the law through faith? God forbid we establish the law. The law leads us up to Christ's death on the cross. Everything about the Old Testament rings true at Christ. That's the beauty of that progressive revelation. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake through the prophets in times past, in little bit by little bit, By a little bit, I learn a little more, I learn a little more, I learn a little more. But then when we get to Jesus, has spoke through his son. Here's the question that we need to iron out. Based on all that we have seen so far in... Hebrews chapter number 1, and so far in chapter number 2, the question that I would ask this morning is, what about you? What about you? Let's, Let's get serious for a minute. Let's examine for just a moment. As we look at all of this, does it make sense? Is it right? Does it fit? Remember, the gospel is not an attempt to impress you. It is revealing who he is. The question that I would ask you is, have you seen this glory? Have you seen it? The glory of God revealed unto man through his son's suffering. That's what we just looked at as far as uh, Hebrews 2.10 is concerned. For it became him, it was fitting, it was becoming of him. For whom are all things and by whom are all things. It works. All things were come, to, come together because this is It is very becoming. Because it accentuates the perfection. It fits. If God was this way, Jesus would have to go through this. Have you seen that glory? Has he become that captain of your salvation? Have you understood your need of a Savior? Or maybe in the back of your mind, you're still wrestling with the idea that... (laughs) When God got me, he got something good. When God saved me, (laughs) he sure did get something better than that guy. Uh, You kind of get in your mind, you're you're standing on the street corner and you see some guy try to rob a bank and he gets arrested and you're just standing (laughs) on... All the while, you just walked out of a store where you know you didn't pay for everything that was in your bag. (laughs) That's because the cashier messed up. She rung up three when I actually bought five, but I didn't steal it. If you know, yes, you did. Yeah, you did. But I didn't rob the bank. And we justify ourselves, don't we? Have you seen your need of a Savior? Or are you still thinking, I'm a pretty good person? Christ didn't really need to die for me because, whoa. Have you trusted in Him? Fully, truly, honestly, completely trusted. In Him. Understand. We needed a Savior. And Christ suffered so that He could experience everything that was necessary for Him to be an all-sufficient Savior. He went through it all to bring you to repentance. Understandable truth here that there is no other way. I talked about the gospel being offensive at the beginning there. Does this mean that anyone who does not trust in Jesus Christ will perish? Yes. Yes, it does. But what about my Muslim friends? Look, I don't hate anybody. And I hope that they do come to saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. But if they're trusting in something that is not Jesus Christ, they are not going to make it. But what about my buddy? He's a really good guy. He just, he's an atheist. I wonder if we would be so quick to being offended by the gospel if we simply took the time to share the gospel rather than getting offended so quickly and easily, rather than getting offended at everything that comes along, maybe, just maybe, we could spend a little bit of time presenting it. Understand this about God. God is not waiting around to condemn man. he's waiting to forgive man he's offering forgiveness full sweet he is quick to offer this forgiveness to those who are already condemned payment has been made will you accept it father we present ourselves to you Lord asking that you would examine our hearts. Father, see if there be any wicked way in us. Father, to the one who perhaps does not know you as their personal Savior, Father, would you please, I'm begging you, stir in their heart this morning, giving them a, a, a introspection to understand, Lord, exactly their position, their need of a Savior. And that today would be the day that they'd place their trust in You. Father, for those of us who do know You, but perhaps we have not shown love to our neighbor. Perhaps we have not been kind in presenting the gospel. We've held back because we're afraid of hurting someone's feelings. But what we're actually doing is keeping from them the reality of a God that wants to save them. Father, help us to be wise in this. And Father, for the individual who today, who may very well believe themselves to be saved, but Father, they're honestly clothed in rags of religion, I pray, Father, that You would open their eyes, That they would see you. And that Father as a result of seeing you. They would trust you. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen.